Today on Ag News Daily. It's hard to necessarily trade supply based strictly on supply because demand is the other factor in there. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Today is Thursday, May 18th, and I am your host, Delaney Howell, joined by my co-host, Mike Pearson. Mike, tell our listeners what you've been doing all day, because I think it's hilarious. What I've been doing all day? What do you mean it's hilarious? I have been still getting my Kubota fixed. Is that what you meant? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I've been doing. The uh, the tech from... Uh, uh, Central Iowa Farm Store came back down today, brought a new hydraulic pump, popped that new pump right on there, and <gasps> nothing Does it work? changed. Oh my gosh. No, so then he took everything apart. We ran a bunch of new lines, put in a whole bunch of new seals, changed some floats, some kind of a jet thing. I don't know. <laughs> hydraulic systems to me are, uh, they're Greek. I, I understand the yeah. basic concept of, of, a, of a, high, a low volume, high pressure thing, moving stuff, but... As far as the actual mechanics, I don't know. It's just it's just a thing that sprays hot oil all over me whenever I change implements. That's <laughs> I don't know anything about cars or trucks, so and or this is a tractor, so it's even more different. Nothing. I don't know and, anything. I know how to drive them. Well, yeah, and that's what matters. But I, I do have to say, <laughs> big hats off to Rex. But at the end of the day, here about uh, 40 minutes ago, he left. He got the tractor in gear. It was moving. It steers a little better. It's still wanting for power. Uh, so we don't quite know exactly what's wrong with it, but I can go back to using a loader tractor like I should to uh, to do chores. So, so progress. <laughs> Definitely some progress. Yes, progress on my tractor is not so much in the bean market, Delaney. Nope. Definitely not today. You had some choice words to say before we started cutting the podcast, didn't I you? I did. I mean, it's too bad that we have a clean rating here on uh, on iTunes because, boy, there are no clean words to describe what happened today in that sell-off. And uh, Delaney, I know you've been you've been watching a lot of news today. Can you give us a, a, an insight on what happened? For soybeans? Yeah, for soybeans. I mean, it seemed like the problem maybe came out of Brazil. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a nice lead in there, but... Um, so we have an update on Brazil, obviously, and that might have been one of the things affecting the soybean market today with their large South American crop. But now we have reports coming out that the president, Michael Temer, was allegedly involved in some, um, what's the word I'm looking for, Mike? Uh, Scheme? Bribes? Cover-up? Bribes? It wasn't alleged, yeah. it's on tape. Well, yeah, but they haven't released any tapes. We don't know. We haven't seen any transcripts. So I'm going to say it's still alleged. All right. See, and that's why you're a better journalist than I am. I'm a <laughs> muckraker. I want to say this guy is guilty. <laughs> but the problem when we say that is it drives that Brazilian currency, that Brazilian real, into the ground, which makes their commodities cheaper, which is which is what happened today. Mm-hmm. So he, yeah. was, he was caught on tape doing what? Um, giving money to Eduardo Cunha, I think is how you pronounce the name, it, who was behind last year's impeachment of the former president of Brazil. So now that they're calling his whole presidency into question, saying maybe he was part of the bribe that got this ex-president um, impeached, and maybe that's why he won the presidency. There's a lot going on with it. But 
in regards to the Brazilian meat scandal, there was also a link there, Mike. Did you see that? Well, yeah, and so that's what I thought it was all initially about when I was just kind of glancing at the story. It wasn't until I read a little bit further that I realized, mm -hmm. oh, oh no, he he might, allegedly uh, tried <laughs> to kind of buy the presidency of Brazil. Right. But yeah, could you have some detail on the meat portion of the scandal? Yes. So there were uh, two senior executives from the meat packing incident, um, specifically from JBS, that is part of their plea bargain. They said, hey, we have these tapes. They submitted it to the Supreme Court. And now this came out about the president. So the whole country is reeking of corruption. Yes, which which is... Uh, Back, if we remember, to almost a year ago right now, uh, Dilma Rousseff was the president, and they uncovered all kinds of corruption in the aerospace industry, in uh, the Brazil's oil industry, and they were like, that's why we got to get uh, Rousseff out of here. And the Brazilian Real actually rallied on that news because they thought, all right, we'll get somebody in here who will root out corruption and will not be a part of it. And uh, oops, maybe not quite the case is what we're finding out today. Well, and yesterday, mm -hmm. I suppose. This all kind of broke last night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it did. And uh, so I just have a couple of notes here because this was I, I, the big mover of the story. It was that, that drop in the real that made Brazilian soybeans much more affordable on the world market, which of course means that in order to compete, Chicago soybeans, the U.S. soybean crop, has to come down in price, which you know today was probably a big fear-based sell-off. But that was a you know, big part of the reason why we that market broke so hard today. But uh, they do say that protests are still ongoing in Brasilia, uh, Brazil's capital. And, yeah, they're they're opening up investigations. I mean, it's going to be it's going to be a thing for a while that we'll be talking about in these commodity markets, I, I think, Delaney. Yeah, so that's the story down there in Brazil. Like I said, I don't think we have heard the last of it. And, uh, you know, the downside is just the more pressure it puts on that Brazilian real, uh, the more trouble we're going to have being competitive price-wise in that global stage. But, Delaney, that's not the only news happening on the global scene. We had a... Uh, uh, yeah, we had people. We had actually Senator Pat Roberts and uh, ranking member member of the Ag Committee Debbie Stabenow, Stabenow came out and uh, they wrote a letter to Sonny Perdue and U.S. new, you know, pretty much brand new U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer requesting continued engagement with the Canadian government regarding their implementation of the dairy pricing changes. Um, that were a part of their new Canadian National Ingredient Strategy. So it does appear that there's still that arm wrestling going on between the U.S. and the Canadian government as it relates to that new Class 7 milk pricing that they rolled out there uh, May 1st, which, of course, threw our, our friends in Wisconsin uh, you know, off, off the rolls of their uh, milk processors. Well, speaking of Canada, um, the Trump administration has sent a formal letter to Congress today to renegotiate NAFTA. And so that begins that 90 day window um, before formal negotiations can occur. But I don't know that they have to take that full 90 days to discuss NAFTA or whether or not it should be renegotiated. But I'm sure that they will. And just as like a reference point, NAFTA wasn't hasn't been renegotiated for over 25 years so that's a long time that we've been through a lot of changes, and that's, you know, a big part of why they believed NAFTA needed to be um, renegotiated. Uh, Robert Lighthizer, who is now the U.S. Trade Representative, 
said that NAFTA was negotiated 25 years ago. And while our economy and businesses have changed considerably over that period, NAFTA has not. And so that's really the reasoning behind why they wanted to bring this um, bilateral trade deal, you know, back up for renegotiation. All right. So 90 days from now, we'll start, I suppose, the real negotiations and actually get some hard news on what things could look like as they affect the ag economy. Is that is that right? Yes, that is right. All right. Well, let's see. We've got a great interview today with a man well-known on Twitter, a man by the name of at Jimmy Hogg. His name is Jim Burns. He is a commodities trader, long time on the CME. And so we get to talk hogs, which is fun. We've talked the pork industry. But Delaney, I think this is our first time really looking at the hog market um, since we've started the podcast. It is, I think. But I mean, like we mentioned on the podcast Hog trader, that's kind of a unique trade. I mean, most people do grains or all livestock, but specializing in hog markets, that's something different, I think. You know, it, it, you're right. It's not something we see that much anymore, especially now that the pits are gone, you know? And Delaney, did you know something interesting? Of course, What's you know, that? interesting things. <laughs> but the interesting thing in particular, this is our 50th episode. It is. That's it exciting. Is. Yes. We should have done something special. Well, Too late now. We're doing a podcast. You're welcome, America. <laughs> All that being said, why don't I go ahead and read the market so we can uh, throw it right to uh, Jim Burns? Let's do that, Mike. Let's do that. Let's start by looking at the corn market. The July contract dropped five and a half cents, closed the day at 3.66 even. The December contract down five cents, closed at 3.84 even. <sighs> soybeans, bad news if you're a producer. Great news, you know, if you're an end user. But uh, July soybeans dropped 31 cents, closed down at 9.44 and three quarters. The November contract dropped 23 cents, finished the day at 9.44 and three quarters. Looking over at the wheat pit, July wheat one and a quarter cents lower, finished at 4.25 and three quarters. December wheat down a quarter of a cent, closed at 4.61 and a half. You know, just because we did see so much weakness in the soybean meal pit or in the soybean pit we did see weakness in the meal pit today meal dropped seven dollars 80 cents in the july contract closing at 307.50 now taking a quick look over at livestock prices june live cattle rose 47 and a half cents closed at 122.92 and a half the august live cattle contract up 82 and a half cents closed at 119.65 jumping down to look at feeder cattle the august feeder cattle contract up a dollar 62 and a half finished today at 149.35 september feeders up a dollar 37 and a half closed at 149.25 Looking at lean hogs, the focus of today's interview, the June contract up 25 cents, closed at 79.15. The July contract up 27.5 cents, finished the day at 79.27 and a half. So with that, Delaney, what do you say we throw it over to at Jimmy Hogg, Jim Burns? I think that's a great idea, Mike. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. We have an exciting conversation today. We're talking to Jim Burns. He is a longtime commodity, longtime hog and cattle trader on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. He's now with, now with the uh, Rosenthal Collins Group, the Green Livestock Division. And he's always looking for folks to advise and to work with. And he's here with us today to help advise us a little bit. We've talked a lot about the beef market. We've talked turkey. We haven't spent much time on the hog market. Jim, 
Give us the 101. Where do things stand today with this hog market? We've been bouncing up and down off that $80 lean hog market. Uh, Mark, are we going to break through it or are we going to break down below it? I believe we are going to go through it, but first I must tell you that I am already long June, July, and August hogs. So you're going to get a little bit of a biased opinion in that part. Um, I think the demand is out there. I think that there's a shortage with bellies and storage, and we need getting up to prime grilling season. We should see the loins continue to grind higher. We should see the bellies continue to move higher, and with that, it's going to pull the cutout up. You pull the cutout up, the margins get really good, and then I believe the packers aren't necessarily as afraid to go and pay for hogs so they get to fulfill need and fulfill demand. So I think the market's going higher. Um, wouldn't be surprised to see a little bit of a sell-off. We had one today. I wouldn't be surprised to see a little bit of a sell-off, possibly tomorrow, maybe Monday. But generally, Tuesdays and Wednesdays have been great days for the market. They've had uh, some pretty good rallies as of recent on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. So I'm expecting this market to move up to, I'm hoping, the $82 area. First, I want to get through $80 first, but uh, from there, $82, and then I'll kind of reassess my position. And if I'm still hearing the news is strong, then I'm going to stick with it and see if it tries to make a run to $90 or not. Um, maybe there's a sell-off first before it gets up to that $90 area. But uh, ultimately, I, I think the possibility is out there if the stars align the right way. Now, Jim, I want to back up here a little bit and talk about you. You said that you've been you traded in in Chicago since 1990 in, when they were still doing pit trading. I am fascinated by this because my generation <laughs> doesn't really know about it. I mean, we learned about it in school, but it's just hard to even understand the whole concept. So I want to know what it was like to be involved in pit trading. Uh, there's so many adjectives. It's almost like a Greek tragedy, I guess you could say. Um, boy, oh boy, how to describe the trading pits? Um, you know, controlled chaos is something that's always uh, said to be. You know, you know, we bring people on the trading floor for the first time, and they're always wondering, how do you know who's buying? How do you know who's selling? How do you know what they want? And, uh, you know, if, you, if, you, if you're looking down on top of a trading pit, uh, you know, generally they were octagon shaped. So every little section of the pit was trading its own month. So mm -hmm. if you're in that month, you've had to know what month it was. And therefore, the other person that was in that month trading it was trading the same month as you. So you have that out of the way already. So you're in the hog pit, you know you're trading hogs, and now you know what month you're trading. And then it just kind of comes to, as I like to describe, listening for two words. At and on. Anytime you hear a number followed by at and then a number, they're selling. I'll sell 10 at mm -hmm. 32. Mm -hmm. Anytime you hear the word on, so a number on another number, I'll pay 30 on 10. They're a buyer. Mm -hmm. And here in those ats and ons, you know who the buyers and who the sellers are. And you, you use hand signals as well. Is that right? Yeah, we did do hand signals. The hog pit was on the smaller side, so you didn't necessarily okay. have to use the hand signals as much. But I did have customers that would, um, as we said, arb in orders via hand signals and, and execute them in the trading pit. Uh, sometimes you might have a guy who's standing across the pit who was – you just kind of sense their interest in uh, a order that you're executing at the time, and they kind of just raise their hand out a little bit and give a little wave and – Okay, you made the trade. You know you made it. You made eye contact. You got a hand contact. You call the trade out, and it's made. And some of the other guys look around like, 
who did that? And you're like, oh, you, got, you guys missed. You got to pay attention. Wow. Now, as long as we're talking the history of the pits, a lot of the pork producers that are out in the countryside really remember the year of 1998 when the cash hog market just completely collapsed. Were you in the pits during that year? Were you trading hogs through that period? I was not. I'm trying to remember. I think I had a GEM membership in 98, if I remember correctly. Um, I I do kind of uh, feel like it was just... um, I don't want to say like a bad dream or nightmare, but the the price just kept going down and down and down. And uh, you get to a point where what happens and makes it continue to go lower is not necessarily the fact that that the prices and the cash side were dropping so much, but the fact that you keep thinking, well, how much lower can it go? I'm too afraid to buy, but I'm not ready to sell it yet, and that becomes a driving factor. So the psychology of the of the trade just continues to push it and push it. You know, one way or another. Same thing happened in uh, 2000 and uh, the PED 2014 yes. with the with the PED on the way up. And uh, Twitter had come about then, and I was fairly active on Twitter, and I would send messages out to people: don't sell what you don't own because it's going higher. There's a shortage. There's a problem. And I would tell guys that were standing around me who didn't have the cash contacts that I had: hey, guys. Don't sell what you don't own. We're going higher. Don't mm. quit selling, guys. Quit selling. We're gonna go. We're gonna go. Because you know, as much as the guys that stand around you were your competitors, they were also your friends. And you never wanted to see people lose money. If people were making money, everyone's happy. If the markets are working, you know, correct way, you know, everyone on all ends is going to be happy. So you generally wanted that. Yeah, it's it's a lot like farming in that respect, which is I'm a competitor of my neighbor. We're both growing the same product, but gosh, I want them to be successful and they want me to be successful mm-hmm. and we're going to work together. Now, exactly. You're going to work each other and help and help each other out when need be. And, and the trading pit was very similar like that. Now, you mentioned the psychology, and that's something that's always fascinated me. I remember mm-hmm. I got to go with my dad, and we we stood in the, the viewing gallery at the CBOT back in the in the 90s. Gosh, you might have been in the hog pit. Well, you would have been at the CME. But uh, mm-hmm. we'd, watch, <laughs> we'd watch these guys trading and, and screaming, and now since I've been trading, it's, it's all been online. And uh-huh. since you've done both, have you seen a shift in market psychology or in participant psychology as well? as the trade has moved out of the pits? Boy, participant, I would say, you know, it feels like the markets are thinner. It feels like they're more apt to run a little crazier longer. Um, I think what would happen in, in, you know, in a trading pit, for example, if something, you know, if, let's say the June contract, there was a lot of buying all of a sudden showing up and going on at once, you know, nowadays the HFTs kind of get involved. Other people start fronting it, front running it, and they, you know, they push the market probably a little bit higher than where it needs to go. In the trading pit, you know, then not to say that that wouldn't happen sometimes, but you always had the spread traders, and they would kind of keep the market in line. So if they see the June getting bought up all of all of a sudden, they're going to go and buy the July next to it, so they can sell the June. So for me as an order filler. I could see the spreaders being on the top step, so I could see what they were doing and see them notice me if I had a big order to do, and 
I could take my time a little bit as I could see them getting their position ready in another month to them come take on my order over in my month. Huh. And and you then way that way you didn't necessarily have the the the, the rapid breaks and rapid rallies that you do get nowadays. So, you know, what can be really tough on a trader is especially nowadays is, you know, you're short the market and all of a sudden it just jumps 75 points in a second. I mean, that that destroys your confidence. That's yeah. really hard to come back from that because you end up getting chased out because you've hit your parameters as to what your loss you want to take and you, you know, it 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 can defeat you. It can make for a a, a long evening. Yeah, it can make for, in my experience, uncomfortable conversations with the bride. <laughs> yes, they can. <laughs> or your margin clerk or yes, you know, wherever your financing's coming from. Yes, exactly. all of those things get real awkward in the span of about 40 minutes. In it, well, yeah, or even in a second. Right. Even in a second. I've seen fortunes made and lost in a second. Jeez. Mm. Wow. So uh, you work for the Rosenthal Group, and you're part of the Green Livestock Division. What exactly does that mean? Um, I work with, for a gentleman named Jim Green, and okay. he has um, been in the livestock markets for oh, boy as long as I've longer than I've been around. Essentially, um, uh, great reputation, um, a individual with uh, great integrity, and so on. And when I was looking for something to do after the trading floor closed, I had many conversations with people, and uh, they recommend. They said, "Hey, go find the people that you knew on the floor." or new off the floor that are good people and have great reputations. And I thought of two people right away, and, and one was um, Jim Green in the Green Livestock Division, and I approached a friend of mine who worked with them. I said, I'm interested in coming in with you guys. And I had a simple 15-minute meeting with Jim Green the next day, and he said, come on board. We'd love to have you. Um, they've been in the livestock industry for quite a while. They, I think, were all high old guys from way back when in the 70s and the 80s. Um, they continue to trade. They continue to manage customers and customer money, and uh, it's a great atmosphere up here. Um, we have, uh, boy, guys from different backgrounds, from you know suburban kids like me who didn't really spend time on a farm to guys who grew up on farms and uh, traders that have been in the business for 50, 60 years. So a collective knowledge up here is 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 impressive. It's really impressive. There's a lot of experience up here. Um, you, uh, I, I feel like I, I, I learn something new every day, and I've been doing this business for a long time, and uh, it's a great opportunity, and I'm really happy to be here. Well, now, let's put some of that knowledge to work here. Jim, you talked about you, you've got a b bit of a bullish bias here going into the summer, and part of that you mentioned was the strength you expect to see in the belly market. Now, we heard over the winter, you know, tightest bellies in storage in a hundred years in uh, in cold storage, and the consensus, at least from the folks I had talked to over the winter, was that well, it's no big deal. We got more supplies coming on. We'll correct it. Give us an update. Are we still pretty tight on on bellies, or or for those folks that aren't in the hog business, bacon for all intents and purposes? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, the, the supply is down year over year, and, and uh, we increased it last month. I don't have the data right in front of me okay. here, and I know very shortly we're going to have another cold storage report coming out, so we'll see how much more they're getting in storage. Um, you know, year over year, yes, we're down. Um, 
do I think that we there is enough? You know, our supply is almost 5% larger than year over year in terms of total pigs. Um, but, uh, you know, it's hard to necessarily trade supply based strictly on supply because demand is the other factor in there. So like the yin and the yang out there, there's supply and there's demand, and you have to factor in the demand. Um, you know, perfect example, you go back to last last fall in November time period, and we were staring at so many pigs that we thought we were going to exceed um, uh, uh, the ability to slaughter them, our, yes. our slaughter capacity. And I was bearish beyond belief, and I'm watching the market go higher and higher. And I said, what is going on? The supply, the supply, the supply. And finally, we got to January, and I said, I'm giving this thing to the last day of December. If we do not break by the last day in December, it's time to get bullish. And I finally got bullish on January third or fourth, whatever the first trading day of the year was, and I made some money back there. But what I failed and where I made my mistake was I was too focused on the supply and not focused on the demand. And I think we saw the same thing with the cattle this spring here, that everyone knew there was a huge supply of cattle out there. So what do the packers do? They go and forward sell that stuff as much as possible, get much of it taken care of, make deals here and there. All of a sudden, we have this huge supply, but hey, we have demand because we've sold this product either on exports or we've run specials or whatever it may take to take that supply away. I think the pork packers did a fantastic job in the fall and early winter to handle the supply that we had. And just like I think the beef packers did the same thing here too. They did a great job in marketing their product and getting it to move. You know, the world's a growing place. It's it's constantly growing. It's getting larger and larger. You have a middle class that is exploding in China, and they love our pork. Mm -hmm. You know, they like pork better than beef, and they're going to keep on eating. You know, if you're a communist country, the fastest way to lose control of your country is to starve people. You mm -hmm. got to feed them. You know, it's interesting. I learned this a long time ago. Um, just as the United States has a strategic reserve of oil, China has a strategic reserve of pork in freezers over there. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. Now we're talking supply and demand. So that leads me to a question I've been thinking. We see, I think Mike and I have reported like five new facilities that are going up in the Midwest to um, house hogs. Do you think we're going to reach a point where we've plateaued and we have too much supply? And if so, what will that do to the markets? Oh, boy, that's an interesting question. And I don't necessarily, if I necessarily know if I know the answer to that, <laughs> other than I can tell you that the market will tell us when that happens. Mm -hmm. You know, the market will be the deciding factor as to when we reach that, that area. Now, there are a lot of, you know, new houses and new facilities going up to, to um, uh, I want to say, you know, breed and grow your pigs and yeah. get, get them ready for slaughter. Right. But we also have new slaughter facilities opening right. up. So there's a reason why they're building those facilities, because there is demand out there. So another way of kind of looking at this in the macro point of view is backing up. Okay, if, there, if, if producers out there are in conversations with their packers and their packers are saying, go ahead and expand because we are going to need the pigs, that tells you that there's demand there. That tells you they're not necessarily too concerned about the supply. And – at the same note, too, if the producer is diligent in how he manages his hedges, he's going to do okay. 
Yeah, I mean, it gives you an opportunity, especially with feed costs where they're at, to, uh, to yeah. pencil in some profits here in the... Exactly. Jeez, we're trading in the 70s. How far out? I mean, we're looking at the fall to still be in the 70s? I think six, right around 69 cents is the October contract. Okay. Here, I can actually log on right now and take a look. My computer had shut off. But, um, I mean, yes, the October contract, yeah, actually October is 67 Okay. and DC is at $61. So, yeah, so even a DC at $61 is probably right around break-even-ish or so, I, yeah. I would say. Probably yeah. pretty close to that, too. I'd have to look at some of the, the uh, updated uh, stuff. Well, now, I, I want to take us a little bit of a different direction because you did mention you also trade livestock, and uh, we have seen a heck of a rally lead to a little bit of a break here in the uh, both live and feeder cattle markets. Big question, is the top in? Boy, that's a tough one to answer, too. I mean, you look at a chart, and it sure seems like you have a top in there in, in the cattle market. Um but, boy, you never know. I mean, well, let's see. We're going to need a $12 $12 rally just to get back to contract highs in June cattle. I mean, I would have to think that probably more than likely that, that June cattle has seen a top. But there's no reason to sit there and say that we don't have to sit there and trade 130 for, you know, a couple more weeks here. Or the, the August doesn't have to necessarily trade 124 or 119 where it is right now. It could trade 124 or 126 for a long time and never have to get contract highs to have that quote-unquote top formed in the market. There's still pretty good demand out there from what I heard. And on top of that, you have some skinny cattle out there. Now, one thing that I think people need to focus on, and I don't think they're really talking about it much, is the grades of the meat, the choice and the select. Now, you know, I've always been more of a, a hog guy, and I'm learning more and more about the cattle every day. And something that I just learned a couple months ago was the longer that the cattle is on feed, the more likely the meat is going to be more choice to prime and so on and not be as much select. Well, you've pulled cattle forward. You have cattle that are lightweight. They haven't been out there on feed as long. You don't have the choice meat as much. So you maybe could have this strength be extended a little bit longer because of the fact that they still need to kill, kill, kill just to get the choice meat that they have, but the weights are down, so they need to kill more to, to maintain that. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you didn't think we were going to ask you so many hard questions today, did you? No, that's quite all right, though. I like it, though. I like <laughs> it. Well, Jim, if people want to get a hold of you or ask you for advice, how can they reach you? Uh, there's two ways of reaching me. One, you can follow me on Twitter at, at Jimmy Hogg, or you can email me directly at J Burns, that's B U J, the letter J, B U R N S, at RCGdirect.com. Perfect. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today, and we would love to have you on again sometime. You've definitely been interesting to talk to. I don't know many market analysts that specialize specifically in hogs. I would love to do it again. It's been a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Once that lean hog market hits 90, we're having you back on. (laughs) Oh, I hope it does, too. (laughs) (laughs) I've got to get more on, though, before it gets there. All right, and uh, another huge thanks to uh, to Jim Burns. If you've got questions relating to uh, to trading the livestock commodities, be sure to reach out, give him a call. He is a, an interesting guy with a great perspective on these markets. Did you learn something today, Delaney? I learned a lot. I did too. I th- I just 
I think it's fascinating to talk to those folks who traded in the pits. Mm-hmm. And Me too. since, what was it, last year? It was July of 2016. Nobody will get that experience ever again. That's right. I know. It's crazy to think, too. It is. It is. But things change. They uh, always move uh, forward, I guess, in mm-hmm. time. Now, that being said, Delaney, we will be moving forward to our 51st episode tomorrow. <laughs> Do we have anything planned? I have a few things still up my sleeve, but nothing planned yet. But we promise it'll be good. It always is, right? It is good. And, you know, Jim was willing to jump on last minute and uh, have That's a conversation right. with us. And uh, I, I really enjoyed it. I hope all the listeners did as well. If you did enjoy it, be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes. And please log in there and rate and review us. Give us uh, five stars, four stars, one star, whatever you think is fair. And uh, we'll give you a shout-out on the air. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.